Joshua Becker, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really honored and grateful to have you here. And uh, I'm excited you to talk are, today. You are very kind. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. You do a good job, man. Thank you. So I'm curious, going way back when, when you were in college, you were about to study in grad school, when did you know you were going to study theology? I went to college. Uh, well, um, I should start at the beginning, but let me take a step before that. Uh, um the uh, my grandfather is a pastor, and my well, my grandfather was a pastor, and my dad was a banker, and I always thought I would go into banking. I wanted to do one of two things: I wanted to either be a stock analyst, or I wanted to give uh, large multi-million dollar loans to corporations. Those are my those are my two dream jobs when I was in high school. So. I went to uh, University of Nebraska for banking and finance, following in my dad's footsteps a little bit. When I had a year left, actually when I had a year and a half left is when I felt called to become a pastor instead. Uh, and so that's when I changed my direction and decided that I wanted to be a pastor. Applied for a uh, uh, college in Chicago and they accepted me, but I had missed the cutoff. So they... Uh, were going to accept me for the following semester, which by then I just would have had a year left on my banking and finance degree. So I finished up my banking and finance degree at University of Nebraska and then ended up studying theology in graduate school. What type of decisions or thoughts went through your mind as you were thinking about those two divergent paths? Yeah. So I had, uh, so I had both examples in front of me. Um, so I, uh, I, I could picture what the life looked like and what the job looked like, uh, what the job looked like for both of them. Uh, my life was uh, radically changed the summer, actually my senior year in high school by, um, uh, a pastor, a youth pastor at a church, uh, radically changed for the good in, in almost every way. And um, so I had that event, um, but still pursued uh, banking and finance. Um, all through college, there was some thinking of, hey, I, I, I'm so appreciative, or I saw the impact that this youth pastor had on my person's life, on my life, and I would like to have that same type of impact on other people's lives, uh, but was very much afraid uh, if I could do it well or not. Um, and so that was probably the thing that held me up for those three years, just not thinking I would be able to do it very well. I could see some aspects that I could do well, but others that would be really difficult for me. Um, and so uh, it just was probably three years of finally, I just had a conversation with someone who said, no, I think you can do it. And I think you would do a good job um, as a as a pastor. So that was the uh, the turning point really, but I don't know, self-doubt probably. Um, I always feel like if there's, uh, if there's a job that you, uh, don't want to do crummy, uh, it would be being a pastor. Uh, there's a lot of damage that you can do by not doing that job very well. Uh, and so there was certainly a level of fear keeping me from wanting to, to do that. I often find that the people who are most fearful or have the most self-doubt are the ones who are conscious enough to, 
put the job in a high enough light and therefore are the ones who will do the best jobs. Does yeah, that resonate? I was, yeah, oh, it, it resonates a ton. Um, uh, I was um, pretty early on, so fast forwarding years ahead after I started blogging, someone had asked me to contribute a chapter about uh, overcoming fear to a book, uh, Kicking Fear to the Curb or something like that. And uh, asked me to write a chapter on it. And I said, I can write a chapter on fear, but I'm not going to write that fear is always bad and we always need to um, work against fear in our lives because I think fear at, at a very basic level, I think fear keeps us from making some pretty dumb mistakes in life. Um, and there are also times where I think fear uh, can push us to work harder, can push us to prepare more, uh, can push us to count the cost of uh, going down a certain road. And, and there's certainly times where fear can keep us from doing those things that we should be doing as well. Uh, but I'm, I, I don't live in the camp that, that says fear is always bad. I, I think that um, uh, just the opposite. I, I think when you're called to do important things or when you want to accomplish important things, there, there should be some level of um, not debilitating fear, but um, fear that you can uh, process and compartmentalize and um, take the steps to overcome it wisely. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned your youth pastor before being a critical role in someone to emulate. Why was that such a transformative experience for you? Um, <clears throat> well, the at, at the at its very core, uh, the the message was I, uh, I learned from him what it meant to know God on a, on a more personal level. Um, uh, and I don't know how religious we want to get here, but, um, but that, that person really took God out of, hey, just something that I talk about um, to someone that, that I know and and want to follow and and want to learn from talking about God, not the youth pastor. Um, and so that was like, that was what I, I learned from, from him. The, I think the joy that can be found in life um, by following God and the, the fulfillment and the meaning that, that I can find by, by making that decision. And so really it changed all my motivations in life, uh, changed everything that, who I was listening to and, and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and how I was going to accomplish that. So, um, that was really the, the core message that, that changed everything for me there. What does it feel like to know God at a deeper level? I, I asked because there have been periods in my life when I feel as if I haven't known God or felt connected to God in any way. And then there have been periods in my life when I deeply have, so I'm curious from your perspective, where's the, how does one get to that point of, of connecting deeper with something greater? Sure. Well, I think it requires, it requires humility, um, probably more than, more than anything else. Uh, I think that believing in God, uh, following God, trusting God requires us at our at our core to say, Hey, I'm, I'm not the center of the universe. I, I don't have everything figured out. Um, I need help. And so that's the, the humble nature that I think is required. I think it's when we become 
prideful in, hey, I don't, I don't need a God or I know better than God, that that's when we, that's when we run into trouble and when we uh, purposefully, I think, turn ourselves um, uh, away from him as opposed to in humility crying out knowing that we need a God is when I, when I think that we, uh, when we find him most and best, um, which is why, you know, when, when life is going really well, uh, and people are very successful, I think it's, it's harder to, to find God in those moments than when, when you're at the end of the road or when you're at your, uh, wits end and, and, um, you know, you need some help, um, in terms of what it, what it feels like, it, it feels like, uh, finding, finding what our soul desires most. Um, and by that, I mean finding love and finding acceptance in someone who knows us best. Um, to, be, to be fully known and to be fully loved is the greatest joy uh, that anyone can find uh, and brings about the greatest peace and, and hope that anyone can find in life. How much do you talk about religion in your work with minimalism? Yeah, uh, not much at all, which makes this very, which makes this very rare. But very, uh, um, I'm, I'm very thankful for this conversation. Um, uh, not much at all, and and the reason is so. If you want to do the timeline, so I was a pastor for uh, 15 years. Um, uh, I started blogging. 14 years ago. And so there's about a three and a half year overlap where I was both uh, blogging about minimalism, uh, pursuing minimalism and blogging about it, and also pastoring at the same time. And so when I first started the blog, uh, I was making I was making some spiritual connections uh, between my faith and minimalism and what I was learning and what I was seeing and just, you know, what the Bible said. And like, I was making, I was making these connections on the blog, uh, but not always. Uh, sometimes I was just commenting about what we were getting rid of and what I was noticing in the world and, um, uh, different things. So I was at my kitchen table. This was, I don't know, six or seven months into blogging, not long into it at all. Um, I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table. The walls were blue. We've since moved. Um, but the the walls were blue. The cabinets were white. I, I remember pretty well. And I, uh, I opened up the blog and I checked the comment section and I had written something about owning less and the freedom that I was finding because of it. And someone left a pretty short comment. Uh, it just said, hey, this is really helpful. I never thought of it in this way before. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to try applying this to my life as a mother, something like that. Um, and I clicked through because she had left a link um, to her blog, uh, as you used to do back in the early days of blogging. So I, I clicked through, and uh, her website uh, was dedicated entirely to witchcraft. Uh, like she was, she was a, a Wiccan, and yet she had been influenced positively by what I had written about physical possessions and. Literally, it was it was like a, a light bulb, a, a life changing moment where I said, "The truth of minimalism is beneficial to everybody, regardless of their faith or non faith background." Much like clean water is helpful to us, regardless of what faith background we have. 
And so I said, I am going to write in a way that doesn't compromise my faith and doesn't compromise my worldview, um, but can still resonate with people regardless of their faith or non-faith background. And so, um, and so that is always how I've approached um, certainly the, the blog. Uh, in, in my books, I'm able to go a little bit more in depth and I can explain a little bit more background to how my faith has played out in my minimalism just because the the medium gives you, I think, a little more opportunity to uh, to write about that. Uh, but my blog um, uh, has always been, um, I think, has always resonated with people regardless of their faith or, or non-faith background. I, I I usually assume people who, uh, so I'm a Christian, so people who have the same faith as me over time will start to think, hey, he must be a Christian the way he the way he sees the world, um, but uh, but I've never never led with that, if that makes sense. I think that's really beautiful because it allows people who know to know and people who are curious about, oh, what's the what's the sprinkle of joy in this guy's writing? What is what is the the essence of it? And it allows them to seek the breadcrumbs for themselves. You know, yeah. when you mentioned uh, a comment before, I thought you were going to mention the one from Dustin Hirschberger who said, mm -hmm. it seems to me minimalism would force questions of values upon you. And that that yeah. was maybe your first comment or one of the earlier ones, which really let you know that you were onto something greater in that moment than you had previously mm. really considered. And yeah. talk a little bit about what that, that first comment or, or that comment in particular meant to you. Yeah, uh, I forget when that uh, when that specific comment came up, uh, specifically and related to the other one. Actually, I, I, I should go back and look. Um, but I was, as I was getting rid of things, uh, as we were uh, getting. So it's me and my wife. We had two kids at the time, and we got rid of sixty, seventy percent of our stuff. We were never going to go move into a tiny home. We were never let's just go RV around the world. We we liked our home in the suburbs. I always say I like my kids' school district and I like my neighbors and um, we uh, we weren't looking to upend life in that way. Um, but we did get rid of 60, 70% of the stuff in our home and eventually moved into a smaller home when we, uh, when we moved um, across country. But uh, as I was getting rid of things, um, I remember how... Um, there's emotionally draining and there's mentally draining and uh, there can be a lot of overlap between the two, but, but they can also be, they can also be separate. And uh, I found it very mentally draining um, just deciding what to keep and what to get rid of. And so I, I used to blog, uh, I would write every day, something short, a couple paragraphs every single day. And uh, since then I changed to three times a week and now twice a week. Uh, but that was how I started. And so I just hopped on the blog and commented about how I was surprised at how mentally draining this process was. Not just, I, I imagine the physical toll, not physical toll, but just physically draining of picking up everything and carrying the boxes and dropping it off and getting rid of furniture. Like I, I pictured the mental stuff, but not the, I pictured the physical stuff, but not the mental stuff. And so I made that comment and uh, just, how surprised I was. And then that's when Dustin uh, left that comment. And he says, it seems to me 
that minimalism would force questions of values upon you. Uh, and I said, that is exactly what's happening. That's exactly what I'm feeling. I can't decide what I'm going to keep. I can't decide what to get rid of until I know what I need to keep. And I can't decide what I need to keep until I know what I want to be and what I want to accomplish with my life. Um, because our, our possessions are uh, tools to help us uh, accomplish purposes in life. Um, and minimalism is just about removing those distracting possessions that keep us from accomplishing those greatest pursuits. So uh, it really formed even the the definition of minimalism that, that I used. Uh, uh, minimalism, minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things we most value uh, by removing everything that distracts us from it. And uh, no doubt that comment that day uh, led me even to that definition. It seems to me, looking from the outside in, that you were also considering that question earlier on in your life, studying and trying to become a pastor, right? Like in order to become a pastor, for me, in my mind, I mean, it doesn't have to be this way, but it sounds like, oh, what are the important things in life? What do I really care about? How do I really impact people in a positive way? And if you look and fast forward, it seems like now you're you're still at that place. You're just using a different medium for a similar message. Is that accurate yeah. from the outside looking in? Yeah, I, totally. Uh, totally. I, I, I wrote a post one time um, um, why I was why I was a good candidate for minimalism or something or why the minimalism message appealed to me so quickly or something like that. And one of the things that, that I mentioned, and I would even take a step back between before becoming a pastor, just, just the faith background that, that I grew up with, um, always painted a picture that, that there was more to this world than, than the things we saw, that, that there was more than just the visible stuff around us, that there was something greater and more meaningful, um, not just going on, but could be pursued and, and could be enjoyed. Um, and so certainly I think when, when I was introduced to minimalism, um, it made immediate sense to me that, hey, why do I have all this stuff? It's just distracting me from things that, that mean a lot more. Yeah, good observation. You're sharp. Thank you. Uh, you you talk about meaning here. What when you think of meaningful moments in your own life? What are the top few that pop out? And when you look at other people, what are the top moments of meaning that you find when you're when you're looking at a sample of thousands of people who have commented on your blog or you've connected with with minimalism in general, what are the moments that typically you see people find meaning in? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And I, I, I would probably, uh, I, even as you're asking it, um, I would say that I don't find meaning in the moments because it's easy for me to, to look back and and think of the moments, think of the accomplishments, think of when I reach the end point of something or even significant life-changing moments of like getting married or having my kids or seeing my son graduate high school, whatever it might be. Like, 
like those are very meaningful memories to me. Um, but probably more than that, I think I find meaning and I think we all find meaning in what we choose to pursue with our life or what motivates us um, because it's it's the 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 daily motivation or the the weekly motivation or just the the life motivation that leads us to the significant moments or the the accomplishments or seeing my son graduate high school and and be not just educated but kind and compassionate and and thoughtful like like to see him be that person um is certainly meaningful to me uh but that's because of 19 years i think of or 18 years of just trying to be an intentional parent and and be a good father and be a faithful husband um and so i can like, i can look at certain go ahead it's like the the moments themselves often represent a decision we made about the person we'd like to be and the moment is only um I, it's the moment is only just a way to try to encapsulate the decision and the choice about okay i wanted to be a great parent so this moment is meaningful because it represents that decision and of the yeah. person yeah and uh and then equally so um the uh the, when we're pursuing the the meaning the the moments change from from person to person right like um i did an interview for a book and um and someone asked me like how i, I have two kids like how are you able to she was just commenting about different books and stuff like how how do you feel like you've been able to accomplish the things that you've been able to accomplish with your life and i said the reason i've been able to do what i do is because my wife does what she does uh and because she um she's just always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and like she's raised our children well and she's been engaged at home and and take care of the home affairs which allows me to focus more on on the work that i do and if i didn't have her uh, or if she was pursuing something different then no doubt my moments would be different i could still be so all that to say uh i think that she like she's pursued meaning uh, in much the same way that I've pursued meaning, but the the moments, the accomplishments, uh, at least the success from the outside looking in, I think looks very different from for her than it does for me. Uh, but I think that we would both say that we have lived, uh, or that I think both of us would say that we're satisfied in in how we've chosen to live and the decisions that we made. So you say the moments for her are different. So she's not excited about or doesn't find meaning in the graduation of your son? Like, how, how, how do you mean? No, I, I, mean I was, I was, yeah, I was thinking more like a book coming out. So I, I had a book come mm. out in April, which, you know, like, gotcha. like that's a pretty significant accomplishment. And that was a pretty meaningful moment to me. Um, at least up until now, she hasn't had a, a passion to write a book and, and, and doesn't, doesn't have one coming out, but I don't even know if she wants to. Right. So, um, so I think that we, we can all pursue meaning, uh, just the the moments along the way uh, that that might celebrate might uh, might look different. Uh, equally so, I, I've known incredibly intentional good fathers whose children didn't turn out, didn't didn't graduate high school, and and didn't turn out the way that they 
would have wanted them to turn out. Um, but I, I don't think that, but I don't think that takes away from the meaning that, that they can still experience in life, um, by, by knowing that they did their best and knowing that they, they did invest themselves into their kids. It just, uh, turned out, um, turned out different because we all get to choose our own path, but that's a really interesting scenario you bring up of where you do the right things, the quote unquote right things to create the result you want, but you don't get the result. And the result is so far from what you expect or what you see other people have. It's like, let's say you start writing books. You're like, okay, like I'm going to try to become a best selling author. I'm going to try to write the best book I possibly can. It's probably a better goal. And then you write it and no one likes it. No one cares to hear from you. And it's like, how do you still find meaning in that activity when it doesn't get the reception you want or it's so far away from what you see other people who are similar to you doing? How, how do you think yeah. about that scenario? Yeah, you should read my new book. <laughs> So, um, I'm halfway so through. So, my, <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, Things That Matter Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life is the book that I was talking about. It just came out in April. And I, uh, it, it gets to the heart of that question. At least I, I hope it gets to the heart of that question. Um, where, uh, when we, uh, when we know who we want to be, uh, when we know what, the the purposes are that we want to accomplish with our lives, um, whether they be general. I'm, I'm speaking in general terms. I want to be a uh, a faithful follower of God. I want to be a you know. Uh, I want to make a positive impact in the world. I, I want to value the relationships in my life. However, however, we want to find that um, when we when we pursue that thing and when we pursue that goal, um, we can. We get to the end of our life with with fewer regrets um, because we because we pursued what was most important to us. We we took the time to identify what was important, uh, and then we uh, worked to overcome the distractions that they keep us from it. Um, and among all those distractions, like there are things that we can do that will bring us more money. Uh, there are things that we can do that will uh, bring us more fame. There are things that we can do that would that would sell more books. Um, but those are really the, the distractions I think from, from a, from a meaningful life and, and from, um, taking satisfaction in our life. And so the answer I think to your question is, Hey, I wrote a book. Uh, I wrote the book that I knew I was supposed to write and whether it becomes a bestseller, uh, whether I become famous because of it, or not, it it doesn't matter because I did what I knew I was supposed to do with the life that I had, um, and uh, and I can be content with that, and I can be fulfilled with that. In fact, I can be more content, and I can be more satisfied in knowing that I wrote the book I was supposed to write that nobody read than if I had written the book that. I just knew would make me rich. Uh, I, I think we have less satisfaction at the end of life than um, when we just do what we think we're supposed to do. Yeah, I, I think there's a dichotomy there, right? Of it's not either or, 
in that scenario. I think it's like a, a spectrum of, and the tricky part about it is, at least from my perspective, is you can get pulled in one direction of like, oh, I know if I write this post, it might get more engagement, but is this true to my soul? And then you get pulled in the other direction. And so uh, from doing this podcast for almost two years now, it's like, I feel myself get pulled in the direction of, oh, if I get this person on, it could be a better episode with more engagement. Is that really what I want to do? Oh, I could ask this question about this famous person that this person knows. It'll get more clicks. So I guess my question to you is, how have you personally navigated that spectrum of looking at something that's meaningful, looking at something that is going to get clicks, and then like um, trying to create and lean more towards the meaningful side. Sure. So uh, obviously, uh, I'm I'm not perfect at this, and and I there's no, at least not that I've found any simple flowchart that that answers these answers these questions for you. Um, but for me, uh, I it has always been, uh, at least I hope that it has always been. Uh, how can I be the most helpful to the most number of people? How can I be the most helpful person that I can be? And so um, very early on, the the first book that I wanted to write was a book all about money um, and how we don't need as much money as we think we do and people are too focused on money. And so um, went to the publisher and said, hey, this is the book I want to write. And they said, no one's going to buy that book. Um and I was forced with I was forced with a decision where I could say, okay, well, I'm still going to write the book even if no one's going to read it. Um, I didn't say that. I said, mm. well, why would I invest my life into writing a book that nobody is going to read? There must be something better. There must be something more helpful that I could write or that I could do to people uh, and for people. Uh, and so that became the kind of the, the thinking. Um, now, going back to our, our previous conversation, I suppose if I had, I suppose if I was so resolved in my thinking that, no, no, I, I, I'm nearing the end of my life. I, this is the only book I want to write. This I have to get down on paper. Um, there, there are other ways to, to go about doing that, but I, it, that conversation was a bit of moving me away from, okay, maybe there's something better that I could do that would be more helpful for people. And so in, in writing, in, in blogging, in creating different resources, even in deciding to, to charge money for a product or to not charge money for a product, um, it, it can become, what is the what is the step here that will allow me to to reach the the most amount of people and and sometimes it's you know um writing a a blog post that i know is going to get more clicks or is going to bring more attention is going to bring in new readers that i can move along to eventually get to you know something deeper that that i want to share with them um or sometimes it's writing the the blog post that i just think there's something that needs to be said. And I know it's not going to be popular, but uh, I know it needs to be said as well. So, and, and again, I, I think it's probably more of, um, 
it's not necessarily uh hey i'm not going to write that blog post because i know it's just going to get clicks i'm not going to ask that question because i know it's just going to get views it's it's more of a what is the what's the general direction of of where I'm going with my yeah. life. And uh, a business coach once said to me, you know, don't, um, you know, see it as you, you have the medicine and, and you're just trying to look for more ways to, to get the medicine out to people who, who need it. Um, and, and sometimes there's ways to do that, that um, are about clicks. And, but I, you know, I, I hope that I've always stayed, stayed true um, to, to what's most important and how I can be the most helpful. Yeah, well, you know, the question of how can I be the most helpful to the most number of people inherently might lead you to fame, which is an interesting thing, not for the sake of fame, but for the sake of helping people at a, a bigger and bigger level, if, if that is really the mission and goal. So it, when I was reading your work prior to this and, and thinking about it, that was one of the pushbacks I had on fame being something that is inherently negative or not meaningful. It actually could be if it's framed in the right way and it's doing it true to you. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, yeah, and, and a great point. And then let me let me back up and just say one thing, the greatest good for the greatest number of people um, doesn't mean that um, everyone has to have a, a broad net with, with the help that they're giving. Uh, I had a conversation with a uh, with a blogger one time, and and he was saying, "Hey, look, I've I've discovered that um, I'm not as helpful surface level to a large number of people, but I'm the most helpful when I'm going deep with a few people." Yeah. Um, and so, take that, you know, whoever's listening, wherever you are, you know, m maybe you're most gifted to to just influencing the you know, the, the people that live within your walls or the, the four or five people that you invest into, or, you know, there are some occupations and there's some jobs and there's some uh, good that we can bring into the world that requires us to have a large following. I think of, like, I think of uh, like elected officials, like how, how could you tell an elected official to, uh, to, to, to bring about the greatest good for the greatest number of people without also having to chase attention and, and chase uh, notoriety and, and getting your name out there. So there's, uh, it, it looks different for, for each person. Um, specific to your, to your question, um, it, it's in many ways, and I even uh, get in this on the, in the chapter of accolades, where I do think that when we're living a, a meaningful life and when we are pursuing meaningful things, that that does draw attention to us and people are going to notice, even if it's just the the mom down the street um, who notices your children and is going through a hard time, and so they they call you just to you know ask for parenting advice, or um, you're you're a successful blogger, and so another blogger is going to send an email and, and want help. Um, in, in much the same way, um, money um, from from work, like I, I think ideally. When we're doing good work, uh, the the more helpful we become with the work that we're doing, then the more financial compensation we receive from it. Um, just because more people are going to want our help, and more people are going to find help in it, and uh, hence the compensation will come from it. The problem becomes when we're chasing 
the fame or when we're chasing the money or when we're, we're chasing the possessions and when the goal of my work becomes, I just want to be famous or the, the goal of my job becomes, I just want to make as much money as possible, that that's when we sacrifice being the most helpful uh, for the, the most number of people because we've begun pursuing things that move us away from uh, being the most helpful. So it's not to say that the success is bad. It's not to say that, that wealth is bad, although um, there are certainly some negative things that, that come with both. Um, it's just, if that's what I'm pursuing, if that's become the distraction that keeps me from meaning, uh, then I think I get to the end of my life and regret the decisions that I made along the way. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And on the, the topic of looking at others and seeing their success and getting jealous, you've mentioned before how you were looking at a bunch of minimalist bloggers or you saw one that was getting higher status or getting more downloads or whatever it was. And you got, you notice yourself get jealous of that person or people. How do you go about one noticing that noticing the jealousy and two, what do you change when you notice that sensation coming up within you? Um, so, uh, I, I could notice it pretty clearly. Like I, I, I can, I can feel it. Um, and I, I don't know if most people struggle to feel jealousy or, or struggle to struggle when they know that they're feeling jealous or when they're, when they're feeling envious, uh, maybe there's a, an aspect of, uh, leaning into that a little bit and, and, uh, calling it what it is and and saying hey i'm i'm feeling jealous right now i'm i'm envious right now and uh not trying to um excuse it away but to just call it what it is um and uh, i i was going yeah um how do i how do i overcome that uh, i think the way you overcome that well number one um Anne lamont once said that if you're looking for your fulfillment in someone else's opinion of you, you'll, you'll never find it. Uh, and, and she's very true. Um, if, if I'm looking for fulfillment in life by the level of fame that I receive or the amount of downloads that I get, or the, the number of positive reviews, like I'm, I'm just never going to get there because, um, there's always going to be someone who, who doesn't like what I'm doing. And there's always going to be someone else who's, um, getting attention. Um, the way we overcome envy, whether it be uh, accolades, whether it be money, whether it be possessions, whether it be any of those things, the way we overcome envy is knowing that we are pursuing those things that are most important to us with the life that we have. Uh, if I know that I am giving my money towards solving problems that need to be solved in the world, then I become less jealous when my neighbor buys a new boat because I know that my money is going towards what's important to me. Mm -hmm. If I spent my money on a bigger screen television and then my neighbor comes home with a boat, my thought might be, oh, I should have saved up and bought the boat 
rather than the television. I wish I had the boat to go with my TV. Um, but when I, when I can say, you know what, I can't buy the boat, but I helped this orphan child find a home. I, I helped this, um, foster kid find a home. I, I helped someone else go to college. Like I, I brought clean water to this village and, you know, some, uh, undeveloped nation somewhere. Like then I, I feel less envious because I know my resources are going towards the things that, that matter most. And I think the same way with success and the same way with fame, uh, and the same way with accolades. Like if I'm, if I'm being true to what is most important to me and, and I'm creating something that, uh, I know I'm supposed to be creating, then it doesn't matter that that podcast has more downloads. It doesn't matter that that blog has more followers because I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I think that's how we overcome envy in our lives. How the far... problem is most, the problem is most of us don't do it. The, yes. uh, right. Like the problem is most yeah. of us are, are chasing more money and are chasing more things and, and want more notoriety. And, um, and, and so, uh, those those things always turn out empty uh, in the end, and we get envious of someone who we think uh, has arrived and we haven't. Well, if we don't stop to question our beliefs, we'll often just take on the beliefs of the society or the community or the family or the friendship we're in. And that's why I think minimalism is such an important practice and an idea is because you are forced to question the values that are actually important to you. And what works for me or what has worked for me in the past is meditation in terms of meditation is the minimalism for the thoughts in your head, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're being able to watch all the thoughts go by and say, wow, I don't agree with that thought. How did that thought get in my head? And Mm -hmm. so uh, it's uh, it's an interesting thing where if you don't stop and question your beliefs, you're just going to take on, the beliefs of the people around you. And it's why I think your work is so important because you're telling people like, stop, stop for a second. What are the beliefs you're holding right now? And why are they the way they are? I'm curious for you, when was the moment you in your 47 year old, 47 years of life, you've gone furthest away from your own values. And how did you get back to a place of knowing what your values are or taking the steps to get to a place of better values? Um, you know, uh, probably when I, when I found minimalism, uh, 14 years ago was, was that moment. Um, and for me, it was a, it was a, it was a, a realization of how unintentionally I had been living my life, uh, because I, 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 I don't think most people set out to just own a, a house full of junk. Like, I don't think anyone says I just, you know, my greatest goal in life is to have as much stuff inside my house as I possibly can. Like, that's not what any of us most want with our lives. Um, but yet that had, that had happened. Um, I started taking, I took a van load of stuff to Goodwill and a second van load and like it, it felt great. And by about the third or fourth van load of things that I was taking to Goodwill or the Salvation Army um, or the CareNet Pregnancy Center in Burlington. Like I, I started really asking myself, why did I have three van loads 
of stuff in my house. Like, how did this, how did this happen? Why, why did I buy more things than I needed? Uh, why would anyone buy something that they don't need to buy? How, how does this happen? And, um, I just realized, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of unhealthy motivations that they were probably taking place and certainly marketing and society and advertisers, I think feed into uh, all those unhealthy motivations that we have inside of us. And it just caused me to accumulate more and more uh, and more until that, that moment of, Hey, how did, how did this happen? And so it was the, for me, I think it was the realization that I was living very unintentionally uh, which, which then sparked not just intentionality in possessions, but starting to look at my calendar and starting to look at my schedule, uh, starting to look at the, the habits that I had in my life. Like which of these habits are really helping me become the person that I want to be. And, and what are these habits that just, I don't know why they're in my life, right? Like, I, I don't know. Why would I why would I eat unhealthy? I, why would anyone choose to eat unhealthy? I, I don't know. It just becomes, it becomes who we are and it, it slowly seeps in and, until we, um, I don't know, take a stand and plant a flag in the journey of life and um, say, I'm, I'm getting intentional and focused on these things a little bit more. Yeah. I often think about it like nobody chooses to be mediocre in any aspect of their life. You never say, okay, I'm going to be mediocre. But often if you don't stop and question life or say where your values are going, you're going to end up mediocre in in specific places, which is interesting because no one actually wants to end up there. But if you just go with the flow of life, often that is the place you'll get to. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that you notice that in eating or your, your house uh, being with, filled with too much stuff. So what would, what would you say is like the first step for somebody is just clean a room, like do the easiest thing possible so that you can get on the path to questioning your values in that way? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, if I were to, if I were to give a mental exercise first, I would, uh, I would have someone complete this sentence. I, uh, I did, this is the first step I always have people do. I desire to own less so that I can blank. Uh, and then like you get to fill in whatever you want. I desire to own less so I can uh, spend more time with my kids so I can do more traveling so I can get out of debt so I can, um, retire early. I, I, you know, so I can, I, I don't know what, what some people are going to say. Everyone's going to say something different, but, um, because the, the goal of owning less isn't just to own less. Like the, the goal of owning less is to, to free up our lives for more important things where we find more joy and more meaning and more purpose than in physical possession. So, um, so helping to see that trade off, um, helps, helps minimalism become, helps minimalism move from being, a um, uh, uh just an exercise to like, a, a and not just a sacrifice, but, a um, Minimalism becomes about what I'm adding into my life. Like I'm adding more of things that are important by getting rid of things that I don't. Uh, and then, yes, uh, exactly. I would say go find the easiest room that you spend time in that you can declutter and go do that room, a, a bedroom or a living room, maybe even a, a bathroom, like something that you know you can finish 
uh, because the brain loves seeing progress. Uh, it's it's why the first couple weeks at the gym are the hardest. But when you start to look in the mirror and you can see uh, what's happening, then you become more motivated to keep going and keep going and keep going. And so uh, rather than trying to declutter the garage or the attic or just grabbing things from all over the room, like go finish your living room. Uh, and then every time you sit in the living room at the end of the day, you can you can feel the progress and, and you can feel the calm and the peace that owning less brings. Uh, and you'll be inspired and motivated to go do the next room and the next room and the next room. And so I always say easiest to hardest, uh, starting with the most lived in areas first uh, and go room by room through your house. How many people have you given that advice to over the last 14 years? And what is a story that could actually help motivate somebody to say, oh, wow, it really worked for this person. Are there any any story in particular that comes to mind of like, wow, I, I can't believe this person changed their life in this way because of that advice that you just gave? Uh, the number, I, I don't know. I mean, we have, um, I have, I have a million readers a, a month that, that come to Becoming Minimalist and um, I do a 12 week online course and we've had 75,000 families go go through it. So uh, so a, a large number of people over, over 14 years. Um, a couple, uh, a couple uh, um, things that always come to my mind, and and I'll just I'll just share one. And it was a uh, an email. Actually, there's there's two I'll share. Uh, one was an email that that became a story in um, my second book, The Minimalist Home. And I I think it was just the the mental picture of it. This this lady, um, uh, a mom, uh, kind of an older mom, and uh, she shared how she had. Uh, decluttered her home um, and uh, was just talking about how helpful the process had been. And she said, um, this morning, she wrote me on a Saturday afternoon. She said, this morning, I woke up early on a Saturday morning and I walked into my kitchen and the counters were clear. Uh, the room was clean. And she said, it just invited me to uh, to create something. And so she said, I, I looked at the ingredients that I had and I had apples. And so I had this clear countertop and I, I baked cinnamon apple scones for my family. Um, and they woke up and we just had cinnamon apple scones together on this Saturday morning. And she said that never would have happened, um, before, um, but just the, the process had freed up this freed up this moment for her. Um, uh, another uh, another story, and I, so just a picture of cinnamon apple scones. I think hot on a plate and a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning, at, and spending time with the family. Just such a perfect picture of uh, what minimalism can offer us. But um, the other one was uh, another email uh, a lady had wrote and written, and she had, she was just starting out on the journey. Uh, she said. Um, her and her husband, uh, they both work a lot. And she said, um, I found your blog because uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my husband and I were washing the dishes after uh, a quick dinner at home. Our seven-year-old son was in the living room uh, playing with a friend. And we overheard our son say to his friend, uh, he said, yeah, 
I don't see my parents a lot because they're always at work. And um, uh, <laughs> she said they, they both heard him and they both like just stopped and and looked at each other. And they're like, here we are with this big house. I, I think they had a cabin up in the woods somewhere. Like we had accumulated all this stuff and had experienced all this financial wealth and prosperity because of the things that we were pursuing and the lives that we were living. Um, and yet probably the thing that, that means the most to us is just said out loud that we're not, that we're not there for him. And, um, they said, I, I, she said, I, I started Googling, how do we, how do I live on less and how do I live on one income and, um, found your website and have begun, um, trying to, trying to make it happen for us. That's powerful. From the first story, I noticed I made a connection that I've otherwise never have made before, which is obvious in hindsight when you realize it. But the idea that when you remove stuff from the clutter of life, you get to the place of creation. The natural next step is to create something. It happens when I meditate. From meditation, it's like this podcast came to be. I remove the clutter of the mind and now we create together in this moment. Why do you think that occurs? Like what is going on there where you are able to create the things that are most meaningful to you, but first it takes removing of stuff that doesn't matter. Like what is going on in that process? Well, a couple things come to mind. I, th I think that there is... Um... Uh, the the reality that that we're all finite beings uh, mm. that we have uh, finite money finite energy finite time in our day um, even finite number of days to live and the more we the more we accumulate um, the more stuff that we acquire uh, the more time and focus and energy uh, are left to take care of those things. Um, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that most people, uh, most of us don't realize how much of a burden our possessions have become until we begin to remove them. Uh, they're really never, never in human history have human beings owned as much stuff as we do right now. And yet it not only does it feel normal, it feels like we want more all of the time. Uh, and so I think realizing, realizing how much of our life is, is being wasted on, on those things, um, uh, freeze up, I think, some of that energy to to create, which I, I think that probably we all feel um, called to do and, and destined to do in some way. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, we can we can either consume or we can create. Um, and I suppose there's overlap on here, but uh, when when we just spend our lives as consumers, then we have less left over to become creators. And so if we're just binge watching another series of something on Netflix, if we're just out shopping more, if we're just taking care of more of the stuff that we have, if we're just endlessly scrolling through social media, the, the more, the more we consume, um, the, the less, uh, creation we find opportunity for, uh, in our lives. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you said something that I'd really never heard before, but it was fascinating. 
and it is that you should attempt to read from different centuries because mm. if you read from different centuries, you'll get the wisdom that carried through. And if you find similarities between those, you can live in a state similar to that. And like, once you hear it, it's a very obvious thing that makes a lot of sense, but we are so consumed with the eternal now of the present moment of the beliefs of the present moment, just on us all the time. If you go on Twitter, if you go on Instagram, if you go on TikTok, you're going to get today's opinions, today's perspectives. But why not expand the time horizon? We've got the printing press since 1400. So you got ideas from almost every century, you got the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so what, what have you learned from reading from different centuries that you can pass along here? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and it was a uh, uh, it was a during my um, uh, master's degree. So this would have been a, a theological um, comment that that a professor had made, um, but it certainly applies to regardless of your faith or non faith background. But the reality is that that we're all like all of us today are swimming in the same cultural soup, right? Like like we're all um, the last person to notice water is a fish, right? Because it's just who they are and it's just what they know. And so um, all of us living today are experiencing the same culture and society. And so when you read someone from previous centuries um, and they're, they're like, it's like you're reading from a, a different viewpoint and a different vantage point. And um, it's sometimes it's helpful, I think, to notice what culture was doing around that time when they were writing for sure. Uh, but it just shines a different lens, I think, on uh, on society and on the culture that, that we're living in, um, as opposed to everyone writing today. Now, there's value both, right? Like there's people, there's value in people writing today about what we're experiencing. Um, uh, but there's also value in uh, reading people from from previous generations. So, uh, you know, anything specific? I don't know. I um um, you know, I, th I think a lot of the, you know, Stoic philosophers and, um, certainly I, I quote, uh, Seneca at the beginning of, um, things that matter and, um, St. Uh, St. Thomas Akempis, I think was, uh, been a pretty helpful writer to me through, through some of those things. So, um, yeah, probably, you know, it's probably just influenced me in very significant ways that are so meaningful. I don't even know if I can point to a specific thing or phrase. It's just, um, and I tend to be when I do, um, like the, the strengths finders test, um, past was, was one of my, wasn't one of my strengths. And so, uh, oftentimes when, when something pops up, I'm like, well, is this really the first time this has happened? Is, uh, is this really brand new? I probably not someone, someone probably happened before, um, and so what can we, what can we look back to and, and learn from in that way? But yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. What's the strengths finder test? I've never heard of that before. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, a. um, uh, is it, uh, you just Google strengths okay. finder and, um, and they, um, uh, I, I forget the details, but, um, through the test, then they'll give you like your, your top five. <sighs> I don't even know how they phrase it. I've, I've done so many of them. I, I, I forget exactly what it is, but like, it, it was very helpful to me. I, I, I popped up with like, 
uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty competitive. Mm. I'm focused on achievement and the past and success. And, uh, and there was one other ones. And I, I think it just helps you understand what, what motivates you. And, um, I went back. Yeah, you're right. That is something as opposed to my other friend, Darren, uh, who was, who is very much like future focused. Like he's always talking about what's coming next. And then Interesting. I would always be, yeah, but we've, I'm sure we've tried that before, right? Like, I, like, how did we, how did we do this? How did we solve this in the past? Um, as do you think that's what's natural? The road. Do you think that's in your DNA or do you think that that's something you learned from your upbringing? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, probably, uh, probably a lot of, uh, probably a lot of both. <laughs> Like most yeah. things, not or. It's my, uh, my, uh, I, I hate to do this. My low battery just popped up on my on my computer, so I don't want it to cut out on us. But that was kind of distracting me a smidge. So. No, you're good. All right, so we'll wrap I, it up. I, I just don't want it to end on me randomly at some point. Yes, Sorry yes. about that. So before we do wrap up, um, I want to bring up a tweet, which I thought was very impactful, where you had a conversation with a dying man who said to you, I'm just trying to make the most of my remaining days. And you thought to yourself, that's good advice. And I, I just thought that was yeah. a beautiful place to to close and to come to an end on. Do you have any thoughts on that specifically or or that moment? And uh, what what did that mean to you? Yeah, you know, I've, I, I always think that there's a lot of motivation and value in, in thinking about our death and uh, realizing that, that we're all going to die and we're all going to leave a legacy of, you know, one way or another, um, positive or negative. Um, and, and keeping that in mind, uh, I think is, is very helpful. And so, um, conversation with a good friend of mine battling stage four cancer and, uh, asked him how he was doing. He's like, I'm, I'm just trying to make the most of my remaining days. And, um, and I thought, I, I, I hope I am too. Like, I, I, I think that's where we all should be. Um, sometimes clarity comes when we know there's just three months left. Uh, but the reality is, even if there's just three years left, um, uh, I think that we should all be trying to make the most of the remaining days that we have. Joshua Becker, thank you so much for coming here. I really appreciate your wisdom. You're like a you're a source of wisdom, and and it seems like you're a conduit for so much for so much wisdom and so much so much knowledge. So I'm really grateful for you coming here. Uh, so much I want to talk to you about, but hopefully we'll get around to at some point, maybe in person. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. And where can we send people to connect with you further? Uh, man, this has been good. Uh, you do a, you do a great job, man. Uh, you do a great job. Uh, becoming minimalist.com is, uh, is home base for me and certainly involved in social media and other places, but everything that's always home base for everything I do. So thanks. Becoming minimalist.com. We'll link it below as well as your latest book. Thank you so much. And, uh, hopefully we can see you again here sometime. We got it.